Hey, but beans, it's your boy Riz, and welcome to the first episode of Riz Radio. I appreciate you for tuning in. If you haven't already, make sure to leave a review, hopefully a good one, and subscribe, whether on Apple or Spotify. It helps greatly. Uh, if you listen to the trailer, I outline what this podcast will be and what to expect on a very basic level. Uh, this episode in particular will not have a guest. It will not have intro music. It will be the integrity and backbone of this podcast in its most raw and basic form. Uh, I feel like I would be doing a disservice to you guys listening if the first episode wasn't a full dive into the latest stories and news in MMA. So the first episode will be strictly about MMA. But like I said, if you listen to the trailer, that won't be a reoccurring theme. MMA will always be here, but it won't be all of the podcast. Stories in MMA, I do want to talk about John Jones and Francis Ngannou. Uh, I, I think that would be a good place to start the timeline of those events and somewhat defend myself because if you do follow me on Twitter, if you don't, at MMA, you see that I defend John Jones uh, a lot. And, and it goes deeper than just being a fan of him as a mixed martial artist. So I do want to talk about that. I'll preview this weekend's upcoming event on ABC headlined by Marvin Vittori and Kevin Holland. Talk about the biggest storylines there. I'll talk about any fight announcements and stories that have come out and about this week. And then we'll take some listener cues. If you want your cues to be answered, DM me on Twitter at RizMMA. I don't think there's a great way to start a podcast rather than to kind of just pretend like you've been here. So that's what I'm going to do. I'll also be giving out my favorite bet of the week for this upcoming UFC event. And speaking of favorite bets, this episode of Riz Radio is sponsored by Betting Gods. Betting Gods provides tips and picks for a range of sports. Your boy does MMA, but these guys do it all. Basketball, soccer, cricket, NFL, NBA, whatever you need, picks for they got. They also do horse racing with derby season around the corner. There is no better time to register for free daily picks. Go to bettinggods.com to sign up now and make sure to follow their Instagram at betting gods, the O is zero, and on Twitter at betting gods. Uh, yeah, let's get into it. Episode one of Riz Radio starts now. All right, as I said, the first topic of this show will be John Jones versus Francis Ngannou, the entire saga of it that has erupted post UFC 260. It's been here for a little bit now, but it's it's really come to the eyeballs of mainstream MMA media. Post UFC 260, which was when Francis Ngannou knocked out Stipe Miocic in their rematch. Uh, to give you a basic timeline and series of events, Ngannou won. John tweeted out, show me the money, uh, among among other things. And that people misconstrued that or construed that. I won't say misconstrued. I won't insert my opinion just yet. Uh, is that John tweeted that because he was scared? It came out that John's coach, John's camp, put the price tag of $50 million on Jones' potential contract. The UFC then moved to look at Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou booking that rematch, but the date didn't line up for when Francis wanted to return, so it's still on the table. Uh, John continues to post on Instagram about being ready and training things of that nature, so it is still all on the table, even with everything that has happened. Uh, now, I want to kind of depict or dissect rather the, the sentiment that John is scared. And I've tweeted about this and I've went back and forth with a few people on Twitter. Uh, before I do that, <clears throat> I said in the intro that he, I st- stick up for John on Twitter for more reasons than just being a fan of him. Uh, and I, I'm not afraid to say I'm a fan of guys. I'm a fan of a lot of guys in the UFC. I'm a fan of Vingano. I'm a, f- uh, a fan of Derek Lewis. I'm a fan of all these guys. But John Jones uh, not only has helped, besides myself, besides the work I've put in, 
John Jones is the next person in line for me being able to say why I have this podcast. And it might seem like a stretch to you, but it really isn't. I've had two tweets, I guess you could say blow up on Twitter, both about John Jones. I mean, I've met John Jones that day. I got media credential to to do a, a meet and greet of his in Freehold, the one Corey Anderson was at. That day was huge for me. Uh, he tweeted back at me. You know, we've interacted. He's liked my tweets. It's not just because of that. My followers, my likes, everything about my page in those days of John interacting or or be, me being able to use his namesake in my tweets has grown my following exponentially. He's responsible for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of my Twitter followers. And I don't think I would necessarily be able to start this if it weren't for those tweets, if it weren't for those interactions, if it weren't for all of that. So not just him, but his namesake that I've used to better my position in all of this. So I do credit a lot of that to him. Back to the, the scared sentiment, though. Go back to UFC 252. If you don't remember that when that was, it was August of 2020. <clears throat> that was the date of Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier 3, the trilogy fight that Stipe won. John's last fight was February 2020. So about a half year prior to that, half year prior to UFC 252, he beat Dominic Reyes. Some people say he didn't, but he did. UFC 252 comes around. It's Stipe versus DC. At this time, we all know damn well John Jones is making his move to heavyweight. We don't know exactly when, but we know his next fight will not be uh, in, in the 205-pound division. He vacated his belt, right? And And I tweeted out, and, and I, I'm genuinely curious, and this podcast isn't just a one-way street. I know it's just me talking, but I'm interested to see what you guys think. So DM me, tweet me, do whatever you do. But I, I, I tweeted out, let me find the tweet real quick. And I said, let me find it. John knew there was a great chance his first fight would be against Francis at heavyweight. Do people truly believe John put on weight, left 205, vacated his belt, and is now afraid? Genuinely asking to. And I got I got some love on it, and I also got some hate. My thing is, back to UFC 252, I really want to power this point home. Obviously, this is hypothetically speaking, but the ends do justify the means here. Listen, if that fight went the other way, and Daniel Cormier were to beat Stipe in the trilogy fight... Daniel Cormier would have then held the UFC heavyweight belt, and he was very confident that he was going to retire after that fight, win or lose, right? So say he won, which was a very possible scenario. He, he was the favorite in that fight. I picked him in that fight, and I think a lot of other people did too. Say he wins that fight. He owns the belt. Stipe is, is, is now coming off a loss. Francis is still in line for that belt, and so is and John is obviously in the picture as well. If DC wins, retires, and vacates it, there is a very, very, very good chance. I'd say this is the probably the most probable fight that would have happened if DC were to win that fight was Francis Ngannou versus John Jones at heavyweight. When I don't know, but I don't think they would have put John in there 
versus Stipe, who was coming off a loss. I don't think they would have done Stipe and Francis's rematch with Stipe coming off a loss. I think they would have wanted to put John in there, and I think they would have wanted to put Francis in there. So John knew that all damn well before this all happened. There was a good chance his first fight was going to be against Francis Ngannou before he even, you know, made the official move to heavyweight. I, I guess you can't say it's official yet, but I mean, he's a heavyweight now. I don't understand how he can be afraid now, but wouldn't be afraid at 252. I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying he's, you know, wanting to, to, to salsa dance with Francis now. It's a scary fight for sure. But I think John knows what he's getting himself into and knew before he mo- made the move to heavyweight that if he was there, and was mildly successful for not even a long period of time, him and Francis would have crossed paths. I know his knockout, Francis' knockout, the most recent one over Stipe, is a little bit daunting, but I don't think that would scare John away from taking the fight. I think there's a difference of it being a scary fight and John being scared. I do think it's a scary fight, but I don't think John is scared. Do I construe that as being him being scared? No, I think he just wants to get paid. And I'm going to get into that as an overwhelming, somewhat underlying issue, fighter pay in, in mixed martial arts in general. But he said, I don't want to take 8 to $10 million for this fight. Derek said, I'll do it for $8 million, right? Because Derek isn't used to those paydays. John wants to get paid what he thinks he deserves for this fight. He tweeted about him getting underpaid in his 20s, $2 million per fight. So he kind of wants, I think it's a mixture of making up for lost time. I think it's a mixture of this would be his best pay-per-view sale ever. And I think it's a mixture of him wanting to be more financially compensated because he is making a move to heavyweight in a new division and is taking what everyone is probably going to agree with that it's the scariest fight of all time. Now, I want to see John's highest pay-per-view buys. John Jones' highest pay-per-view buys, right? Let's look at it. I want to say it's against Cormier. could be in the rematch. Yeah. So it's Cormier versus John Jones 2 at UFC 214. Did 860,000 pay-per-view buys according to Tapology. If you don't think Francis Ngannou and John Jones are going to do more than 860, you are out of your mind. I think, I don't know if it hits a million, but I think it comes damn close to it. So say it's at 900,000, which could be low. I'm, I could be lowballing here. And 70, uh, you know, 900,000 buys, $70 a pop. That's $63 million. Just off pay-per-view buys. That's not that's not counting the gates that they've been selling out and all that good stuff. Six hundred thirty, or I'm sorry, sixty-three million dollars in pay-per-view buys alone. That's at nine hundred thousand buys. It very well could be north of seventy if it goes the way I think it would go. Now you say, okay, so if John said eight to ten's too low, someone asked me on Twitter again. They said, you know, what what do you think the ideal price is? And I, I don't know. You're right. I've, I've never fought before. I don't know what fighters should get paid. I, they should get paid more. I will agree upon that. But someone asked me on Twitter. They said, what do you think Jones should get paid? High and low end. And I said, I thought his number would have been $12 million And Dana would oblige. Johnson, anything between 8 and 10 is way too low. So 
I, I'd imagine he wants well north of 15. So I'm thinking at this point, maybe 18 million would do it. And then his coach comes out with a $50 million price tag. That's just, I don't want to say impossible, but it's, it's as close to impossible as it gets. I know that you bring a high number to the negotiation table, but when you're calling the UFC saying 50 million is your starting point, I'm not blaming the UFC for hanging up and looking to book Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou. That is not to say that John Jones isn't going to get a heavyweight title bout in the next 12 to 15 months. That's saying that if that's his price point right now, we have another fight in Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis that people would be mildly excited for. Personally, I wouldn't. I think the promotion difference between John Jones' heavyweight debut versus this this on godly-like figure in France and Ghana who's just an absolute monster and, and can knock people out with, you know, any any sort of barrage of punches and it's one-punch knockouts, all that. That's a great promotion, right? Or do you promote Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou that the rematch of that, the first fight was one of, if not the worst fights in UFC history? It's hard to promote that. And it's especially hard to promote that when people are looking forward to John Jones versus Francis Ngannou this much, and you're kind of building that up without building it up, right? From a promotional standpoint, you're not building it up, but with John talking about his coach coming out, Francis saying he wants the John fight, it's going to be a letdown if we don't get this fight. Back to the 50 million price tag. We just did that math, right? 900,000 buys would equivocate to $63 million. $50 million, it, it just the math doesn't add up, right? Unless he's doing, which he still would never get, I don't think he'd ever touch $50 million, right? Unless he's doing, you know, Mayweather, Pacquiao numbers, or Mayweather, McGregor, Habib McGregor, which is all north of, well north of 2 million buys, you're not touching anywhere close to your number that you want. So I think, or I thought his number would have been 18 to 20. It doesn't seem like that's true. So I, if you were to ask me right now what the next heavyweight title fight would be, I would say they're going to give John another call. And if and if if any if their number is anywhere close to fifty million, uh, John's camp, the UFC is going to hang back up. Now this also brings another interesting point away from John, but France's next opponent, if it isn't John. Would you rather see it be Derek Lewis in the rematch or a, a fight that nobody's talking about? And I'm not really sure why a trilogy against Stipe. I think that's an extremely interesting thing. And I think Stipe probably wants it at this point. Uh, I remember tweeting out a poll. got 120 votes. said, if Ngannou Jones falls through, which matchup would you rather see for the next heavyweight championship? And the only two options were Ngannou uh, Lewis rematch or Ngannou uh, Stipe trilogy. And overwhelming, 62% was Nganu Derek Lewis rematch. I know they're both well improved from their first fight, but it's just it's hard from a promotional standpoint to get excited, and it's hard for us to get excited, like I said, when we're somewhat expecting John Jones' next fight to be in the blue corner of a heavyweight championship. It's tough. Uh, and like I said, the overwhelming issue here is fighter pay being what it is. And being low, I mean, the sport, I don't want to say it's in, in its infancy stages, but I'd imagine the mixed martial artists in 20 years, you know, everybody, John and George St. Pierre, all these guys are going to be looking in 20 years and being like, damn, 
you know, I, I wish I was born 20 years later and getting the, the payday these guys are. I think they're just kind of the, the starters, right? But back to John and Francis, what I think will happen if John picks up the phone and has a realistic number, I'd imagine John Jones versus Francis and Ghana will happen at the back end of this summer, whether July or August. I'd imagine August. That was my initial prediction. But if they don't, and they do book Derek Lewis versus uh, Francis for the summer, do you look for another fight if you're John? Do you look at a Stipe fight? Do you look at just waiting it out? I mean, how long are you going to wait until th- there's action taken, right? All these questions should be answered in due time. But uh, like I said, the negotiation between the UFC and John Jones is, I'd say, the most prevalent factor in all this. And if John comes with a realistic number, I do think that's the next fight. And if he doesn't, I think they look for Derek versus Francis. I think Francis fights in August. Who it's against will is yet to be seen, but uh, that's that's the fun of that's the fun of the fight game, right? The fun of the fight game also is that ninety percent of the time we we see the fights we want to see. Hopefully, this doesn't fall into the ten percent, but we'll see. All right, to preview UFC on ABC two going down this weekend. When I do these previews, I'm just gonna pick a few fights that I want to talk about. Uh, sometimes it might be the first two fights on the card. Sometimes it might be one main card, one prelim. This time, it is going to be the main event and the co-main event. This card, it's good. I'm not going to say it's it's bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it definitely doesn't have that name power or the storylines that I do want to talk about. Uh, so, like I said, co-main, main event. Co-main is Arnold Elm versus Sadiq Youssef. Going down at 145, Arnold Elm uh, has won his last five as Sadiq Youssef has. Neither of them have fought since January 2020, so it will be interesting to see the layoff and how that translates here. For for those of you that haven't seen them fight or have just gotten into MMA since they fought, like I said in the past, what would that be, 14 months? Allen is more of a volume striker. Yusuf is more of a powerful striker. Allen goes for the clinch, goes for the takedown. He, he's a decision, guys. One of his last three fights by decision. He, he grinds you out, right? He, pepper, pepper, volume, volume. However, if it remains a striking at distance fight, I do think Yusuf has the distinct advantage. I think Allen has the distinct cardio advantage. So it will be interesting. I, I wouldn't say clash of styles, but I do think if Allen can can clinch into a striking and go for takedowns, I do think he'll have the advantage. Uh, so it, it really depends on where this fight goes. Josh Allen, or I'm sorry, Josh Emmett was faced to book on round uh, a while ago. And with Arnold Allen being ranked 10, Yusuf 11, and if you look at the rankings above them, there isn't much lateral movement at 145. It's such a stacked division. You have Ige at 8 and Emin at 7. Uh, so either of these winners, I would imagine, would move up a spot or two to, to a single-digit ranking, definitely. I think they both would jump Jeremy Stevens and would line themselves up for the biggest fight of their career. So this is a huge fight at 145 for the back end of those rankings. It's going to be in the middle end uh, come Tuesday. If you take a look at their odds, it's not surprising uh, to me, their odds. Uh, Sadiq Youssef, minus 137 on round, plus 116. 
the, the line is moving for Yusuf ever so slightly. Yusuf opened a minus 120 and has dropped 22 points to a minus 142. Allen opened a plus 100 and is now a plus 116. So there is some money coming in on Yusuf, but I those those lines are fair. I think this is a very even fight that can go either way. Main event, uh, Marvin Vittori versus Kevin Holland. That's at 185. Uh, Holland is taking this fight on short notice after his loss to Derek Bronson. Vittori is coming off a decision win against Jack Hermanson. If I had to give you a lean in this fight, I'd say Vittori. I'm not going to say Kevin Holland doesn't have knockout power. I mean, he hit he hit Derek Brunson with that looping shot, and and I'd say dropped him. Uh, some people would argue that on Twitter. I saw some people didn't think it was it was a clean shot, but it, it, I watched that fight two or three times after, and it was a damn clean shot. Uh, there's no denying his power, but Vittori does have a chin. He's so well rounded. He's so good on the ground. And I think Holland is live off his back, plus a thousand by submission. But Vittori is so smart with his head placement. He's so good with his takedowns. He's so smart when he's on top. I do think this is Vittori's fight to lose. Uh, and and the odds do agree with me there. Vittori, this did surprise me a little bit. Vittori opened a minus two thirty. Is now a minus three thirty two. Over a hundred points of movement. Kevin Holland uh, going the other way. Opened a plus one. 88 and is now a plus 256. So the money is live and well on Vittori. Like I said, I don't disagree. I think this is Vittori's fight to lose. However, Holland by knockout would be a prop that I would give note to. Not saying take it. I would give it a look. It's plus 500. I would not be surprised if Sunday morning we wake up and a big mouth knockout reel is what we see rather than a Marvin Vittori win. I wouldn't be surprised. Like I said, I do lean Vittori, but I wouldn't be surprised. I would never be surprised if Kevin Holland wins a fight by knockout. Uh, that's really all I want to say with those two fights. The winner of that fight, the, the Vittori Holland fight sets himself up for a huge fight in the top five. Kevin Holland has nothing to lose here and all to gain. Vittori Somewhat of the complete opposite. He was supposed to be fighting up, be fighting Darren Till. Darren Till unfortunately dropped out. He was going to be in that top five ranking if he won versus Till. Uh, But now if Vittori wins, he still might hop up in front of Till depending on how he wins. But if he loses, he's going to drop at least a few spots. So Kevin Holland has a a lot of room for lateral movement here. So I do like this fight for him. I like the upside in Kevin Holland rankings-wise, but I do think Marvin Vittori will win. Uh, as for the card as a whole, just some other fights to highlight. I, Sam Alvey versus Julian Marquez. I'm looking forward to Marquez coming back. I'm looking forward to Alvey fighting. He's in the pick'em. And Pekasang and I, I'm looking forward to him coming back. Jack Shore is always a fun fight. Jim Miller versus Joe Selecki's not bad. Done an interview with John McDessie, so I'm looking forward to him fighting. Mackenzie Dern versus Nina Ansaroff is good, too. The, the card's really not bad. It, it really isn't. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm giving out an underdog pick each week on the show. It'll always be a dog. I'll be taking the dog I like the best. Sponsored by Betting Gods. And this week, it's an early boy. It's William Knight. It is William Knight. Uh, plus 120 against Daun Jung. Uh, the line movement, William Knight actually opened at a pick of minus 110 and has now moved to a plus 120. So money is coming in on Jung. We'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. I think William Knight has more more than a more than a good chance to win. I think him being a minus one ten was fair, so I really like his price at a plus one twenty. So that'd be my that'd be my underdog pick of the week, sponsored by Betting Gods. There's a few other underdogs I like, but I would say William Knight 
will be my betting gods underdog of the week. All right, let's do some listener cues. We're going to keep this episode one pretty short. Not trying to waste your time nor mine. It's not going to be bite-sized podcast. It's not going to be the hour 30 podcast. It's going to be somewhere in the middle, like an appetizer, like a mozzarella stick, right? All right. Uh, <laughs> Phil and uh, Fight Geek do uh, their podcast, the Split Decision Podcast. Follow them on Twitter at split underscore podcast. They always take listener cues. So I'm going to take a few of them because I'm always with them and tagged under their posts. I'm going to take a few of mine and we're going to do it rapid fire. All right. First one, who do you guys think will be the lightweight champion by the end of the year? If you followed me for some time, you know how highly I think of Charles Oliveira. Uh, even with Habib in the division maybe a year and a half ago, I tweeted out that I think he will have a belt around his waist within five years. Now, without Habib, he's got a clear path to it, and I'd be surprised if he doesn't beat Michael Chandler. And I'll be honest, I'd be surprised if, if Dustin Poirier gets a shot that Oliveira wouldn't beat him as well. I think Oliveira could could win two fights this year, and uh, one winning the vacated belt, and the second one being his first title defense. Does Marvin Vittori have anything to gain with the win over Kevin Holland? My brother, if you listened to the last segment, I said that's a big, big no. Not much lateral movement for him. Just another name under his belt, and uh, and and with a with a great win, maybe a knockout or submission early, he can gain stuff, but. No, he, he he. There's not much to gain for for Marvin Vittori in this fight. What are the chances of Aljo beating Peter Yan in a rematch? I don't think high. Peter Yan, I bet on him their last fight because his price, in my opinion, was way too low, and I think that'll be corrected in the second fight. I'd imagine he'll be north of a minus two hundred. There's just not many ways for Aljo to win. I could see Peter Yan being around for 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 years and years to come, especially in that division at 135. So I would I would say Aljo does not have a great chance of beating Peter Yan in the rematch. If Woodley retires if Tyron Woodley retires today, will his legacy be intact or will his last four fights be what he will be remembered by? I think it'll be a little bit of a mixture. Just like Anderson Silva. It it depends when you started watching MMA. If you started watching him at his peak well, that's the Anderson you're going to remember, not the one that's been on this losing skid. If you watch Tyron Woodley, you know, when he beat Wonder Boy, when he beat Darren Till, you're going to remember him for that, but it's hard not to remember these last four fights as somewhat as a, of a hindrance on the back end of his career. I think the interesting thing with Tyron Woodley is the timing. I think even if his prime was now, he would have a lot to handle in these, these new guys in Colby Covington and Usman and Burns. I think his prime was at somewhat of an opportune time. So I think good timing, definitely a credit to that. He's a great mixed martial artist, and I think he will be remembered as so. But uh, I, I don't see any way he's not in the UFC Hall of Fame, to be completely honest with you. I know some people would disagree on Twitter, but I would think Tyron Woodley is a UFC Hall of Famer. Do you think there will ever be a super heavyweight division, maybe cut off heavyweight around 230? I think this is an interesting one because there's a lot of factors that go into it. Right now, no. Near future, no. But in the maybe 15 to 20 month future, possibly, if the UFC adapts a weight cutting protocol similar to one championship, where these guys that weigh in at 265, like Greg Hardy, guys like that, can't cut down to 230, they might have to think about adding a new division. Now, why I say no for the now, 205 is extremely thin, and so is heavyweight. If you were to make those two divisions three, because if you added 230 in there, guys from 205 would move up, guys from heavyweight would move down, 
it would be breaking two thin divisions into three even thinner divisions, and I don't think that's smart business. I don't think the UFC will add any divisions. That's not to say other organizations won't, but for the now, I don't see the UFC adding any divisions. Now that Ortega and Volkanovski are tied up until probably September with Tough in their title fight, what fights at 145 would you like to see happen in that time frame? I think this is an interesting one. Now, if we're looking at the rankings, you have Max Holloway who needs a dancing partner. Ortega and Volkanovski is a great fight. Obviously, he's a beaten Yair. is a fight that I think we all want to see. Korean Zombie versus Ige is a great one. I'd like to see Josh Emmett fight the winner of this weekend's co-main event, which Arnold Allen and Sadiq Youssef itself is a great fight. Bryce Mitchell against someone like Shane Burgos could be really, really, really interesting. Uh, I think at the back end of those rankings, there's there's so much going on at 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 one at one forty five right now. It really is. It it really is uh, one of, if not the most stacked division. Uh, really in in the UFC, and I don't think that's an ambiguous thing to say. It's it's so deep and it's so good all the way through, and there's so many different fighters. You've got guys like Bryce Mitchell that aren't even in the top 12. It's just, it's a stacked division, and I'm excited to see the future of it. Unranked fights, if I'm just looking really quick, always have to look forward to an Andre Touchy-Feely fight. Looking forward to Lerone Murphy's next fight. Giga Chikadze's versus Cub Swanson on May 1st. That's a great fight. Nate Landway here is always fun to watch, even though, you know, the last fight wasn't great, but it's fun to watch, right? So guys like that, I'm looking forward to. Uh, what else do we got? Does Colby deserve a title shot despite not facing an actual contender, ducking both Edwards and Burns? In my opinion, and I don't think many would disagree, I would have rather seen a Colby and Kamar Us- Usman rematch than a uh, Usman Masvidal rematch. It was a better fight. Colby was... Damn near close to winning that fight on the scorecards. You guys know how close it was. So I think it's interesting. I think that fight is interesting. I do, however, think he does need to fight again now. If it wasn't an immediate rematch then, I don't think he's going to get one now without another win. But that division's interesting because they're setting setting, uh, Leon Edwards up for this title fight, right? If he beats Nate Diaz, he's going to get the title fight. If he loses and Stephen Thompson beats Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson's going to get the title fight. So Colby Covington doesn't have much room to go, but I think he does need another fight and another impressive win to get back into that title picture. All right, that's listen to cues, guys. Like I said, send them in at my Twitter, at RizMMA. I appreciate you guys listening and be on the lookout for next episode.